Data-Driven Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, we explore how to transform your company and career through data-driven decision-making. Want to become a data storytelling aficionado? Then sit back, relax, and get ready to unlock the true potential of your data. Here's the host of the Data-Driven Podcast, Dominic Bohan. Yesterday, Brian and I talked about going beyond demographics and psychographics to understand human motivation. Today, we're going to learn more about how we can accomplish that. We're going to talk about the current state of AI and data-driven marketing and how it can help get us to these deeper understandings about human motivation. So here's my conversation with Brian Gannert, the CEO at Resonate. Brian, welcome back to the Data Driven Podcast. Great to be back. Okay. Can you share with us a little bit about your journey, how you started Resonate? And presumably, you guys have been using AI for much, much longer than the chat GPT AI craze. Sure. So Resonate was founded, a, well, let's see, it's about 14 years ago at this point. And it was really through a number of conversations with people across different industries. Some were in the political and advocacy industry, some were in the brand industry. And there was this conversation about how can we connect with people beyond the basic demographics or data that's available today and really get to this conversation about why people make decisions, which as we talked about the other day, the values and motivations of people and the, the preferences of them. And it started as a conversation that quickly became, is it possible? And interestingly, Dominic, the, the majority of traditional researchers said you could never do it at scale because these are things that are really difficult to understand about individuals, which only just motivated us more as having a tech background, building a number of technology companies. And so that was really the genesis of the business. Can we understand people at scale, why they make decisions? So that really kind of grew the, the business. And we've, to your point, you know, we've been leveraging AI. It's interesting because I think AI, the explosion of AI in the general conversation has been generative AI, ChatGPT, and maybe now Google Bard. But in reality, machine learning, neural networks, kind of what, what has been now considered to be AI has been around for a long time. And we've been using AI for much more than a decade. I mean, really almost since the beginning of the company. But I think that's really accelerated based on the fact that I think we as individuals have been able to to interact, we think we're interacting with AI now for the first time. The average person never really understood like how AI played a role in their life. But now I can go to ChatGPT and we've got a common language. We've translated human language to zeros and ones and got a return in the human language we understand. So that's created a lot of, I think, buzz around what's possible. And so have you integrated some of the new technology like large language models into your solution? We absolutely have. Um, Today, we've built a capability where you can ask our platform and our data to tell me about where the characteristics is most important about any audience. You can dream up any kind of combination of things you want to know about human beings, about consumers, and, and it will return what is the most relevant data. And through that process, we'll then return kind of descriptions of what's most important to know about those people, what makes them different, what makes them unique across different things, whether it's their behaviors or their values and motivations or their demographics or what podcasts they're most interested in. So really you kind of through AI, making that process simple that historically would have required a lot of analysis work 
you know, a lot of insights, analytics, and really struggle with the volumes of data. If you think of generative AI, the, the real value is the, the vast volume of data that you can process and get some response from is much bigger than you typically would kind of try to tackle. So you're saying you've already integrated a chat interface that people can use to get natural language. Yeah, to be fair, at this moment, it's an alpha. So it's early, okay. but we fully expect that to be in the next 90 days kind of generally available to our entire customers. So as I think I mentioned in our other conversation, I was curious and I used our AI, generative AI, to actually look at people that, that, that listen to technology podcasts and specifically on their commute to and from work. And so all the data that came back was based on that generative AI query. Okay. that That's pretty impressive. That's still pretty quick. So... um that's the front end. Can we take a little peek under the hood now on how we go from these 14,000 data points that you collect to insights that a non-technical person can understand? So let's start with the data points. How do you get these data points and ensure their privacy and security for 230 million Americans? So great question. As I mentioned early in this conversation that you know a lot of traditional researchers said this was not a possible endeavor. And it starts with you have to understand people at this level that the only way to know people at this depth of like your values, motivations, you have to ask them. So there's no real way you can ask 230 million people what they value, right? That's an impossible result. So what we do is we, we've developed our own first party ground truth, the U.S. population. And that starts with asking hundreds of thousands of people lots and lots of questions. You think of it more as kind of long form survey research. And it's tied to, and there's all opt-in, it's tied to observations of also how they interact with the world and the demographic characteristics and a bunch of other things. And we get that same data for 90-some percent of the U.S. population. And we've built an AI infrastructure to really make decisions and predict those 14,000 attributes on the 230 million people we talk about. The interesting part is we see... 30 billion consumer interactions on a daily basis. So we see how people are changing. And just, you know, these are numbers that I think as human beings, we struggle to comprehend, but we maintain over 4 trillion attributes on U.S. consumers. And we re remodel or understand how people are changing across about 300 billion of those a day based on observation of how they're changing or the things that they're doing differently or, or how their views are changing. One of the things... And this is um, kind of interesting. A values-based research would say your values as a human being don't change priority very much. And if they do, they change slowly over time. But because we've been doing this so long, one of the things I think was really interesting in the early days of COVID, the values that people were actually leveraging to make decisions changed very dramatically. Now, this has all kind of moved back closer to where it was prior to COVID, but the things, for instance, and, and these things seem obvious, but identifying which people that are this that are the the case for this is, you know, caring about their family, you know, health and well-being, all those things, no surprise, jumped up in kind of prioritization. But not everybody, not everybody changed that their views and, and their values of kind of how they applied those. But so those are things we can identify as things are changing based on observation and the AI modeling that we've built. So were you able to pinpoint those that were 
changing their values a lot or really doubling down on the values of safety, security, health versus those that weren't, those that were like, I'm just going to get on with my life. 100%. Mm. And, and, and our customers leverage that data from strategy and how they strategically were changing their business, their products, their offerings, all the way down to interacting with those people to kind of encourage, to identify. I'll give an example. We have a large customer that they, they have different parks and recreation. People have to go to the park, right? And, you know, the parks were all shut down. So the biggest question is who's going to come back first? And our data identified who was going to be willing to come back. And most importantly, why would they come back? What was going to be important in those conversations? So contactless payments, reduction of kind of number of people allowed in the park, you know, those were things in leveraging that data really interestingly enough outperformed their best loyalty data because it identified the characteristics that were going to be important to get people back in the park when they reopened. So that's a, an example of kind of that shift and also identifying people that were going to change their behaviors based on those shifts. Right. Whereas if they relied on their first party data, they could say, Bob is a loyal customer. He comes to the park three times a year. And all of that's now meaningless if Bob has health problems and he's staying inside to protect himself from this pandemic. Exactly. And one of the things I think the pandemic really did in those early days was really opened up marketers' eyes to the fact that they can't do a segmentation strategy every two years. I, we talked to one customer that it was every 10 years. And anything you knew prior to March of 2020 really was irrelevant. And so the ability to really understand consumers and how they're changing and what's important to know about them. And for your example, Bob, who may love going to this park, has zero chance of going to the park. Like there's zero chance they're going to go to the park. But, you know, 90 days before would have been the first person in the park. So uh, when you talk about the 14,000 data points, is that the smaller data set that you collect in a much more manual way with discussion and interviews asking people about their values. So we've got that data, and then we've got a much larger data set that's behavioral, where we've got billions and billions of pieces of data from, presumably it's from things like credit cards, loyalty programs, all these sorts of things, right? And then this is where we're using AI to join them together and get insights and fill in the gaps because we can get the behavioral data on many millions of people, but that doesn't scale. We have to do the values data on a smaller sample. Yeah, you can think of all that other kind of as a, the behavioral data and all these other data sets as input as signal for models, right? And so, so that is very much the larger data set that we use. And we also contextualize that understanding. So some of that data, for instance, is what type of content do people consume? What type of TV shows they watch? What, and we go a, a layer deeper to really understand the contextual nature of that engagement. You know, what type of content's most important? How often? Uh, how engaged? Uh, so not just that there's a, a behavioral attribute, but really understanding what does that attribute, that behavioral attribute really kind of mean. So using Things like understanding going going beyond that they they watch TV shows about soccer to really understanding kind of contextually what what's most important and relevant to them in that in that engagement. How do we get from all of this data 
to meaningful insights about people's values. So again, I mentioned that we, we see 30 billion consumer observations on a daily basis. And beyond kind of the behavioral understanding what they do, we also contextualize that understanding across things that TV shows they watch and, and other content they engage. So we use natural language processing to really understand every word of, of the, the content they're engaging with and then be able to, to pull out what's relevant or most important in that engagement to inform the modeling infrastructure to understand how people are changing or what's most important or, or to predict things. And people typically think about that as like, oh, I watch NFL football, you know, you're a football enthusiast and that's how you get that data. Well, sure, the model takes that into an account, but they also take into account, are you buying tickets to go see those events? You know, are you watching those events on TV? What other things are, are you buying merchandise that's related to that? And kind of pulling all that data together to understand the intensity of that kind of engagement that informs the models of, yes, this person is a NFL enthusiast versus they're a casual, you know, watcher of kind of NFL football. Okay. So what does some of this data look like? Are we getting unstructured data, free text data? So it's a lot of unstructured data, a lot of free text data. Again, in the free text, we organize that based on natural language processing to kind of really organize that for our models. But all this, this data is really unstructured. In fact, I think it'd be really hard to procure 30 billion kind of observations on a daily basis that would be structured data. I think it's one of the challenges that early kind of AI conversations it was very difficult because the, the idea was you had to structure all the data, but the world has changed pretty dramatically that you can leverage unstructured data to really kind of inform decisioning and modeling and those types of things. And, and so we've been on the forefront of those capabilities for a long time at this point. Uh, have you integrated some of the newer models, like the large language models we're seeing like GPT-4 and started to use those? And in some cases, are they outperforming the proprietary models you developed? So we're using the generative AI and LLM models today. Those models are more about identifying interesting understanding of the individual consumers, leveraging the data. They're really not a modeling algorithm. So it's really about understanding, contextualizing and understanding data that you want to learn more about. So that wouldn't be a great example from a standpoint of like, is that going to help from a modeling or outperform modeling? It won't outperform our modeling. And if you look at the modeling we use, it's a combination of things like XGBoost and others that are out there to kind of really do modeling, precise modeling based on data input. We're actually moving beyond XGBoost into some other capabilities that, that we've built. And so we're in a constant march to improve, improve, improve precision. And the good news is we have so much signal data, that 30 billion, that as we continue to evolve and leverage different modeling techniques, our precision continues to, to get better and better. Yep. And is hardware helping with that? Yeah, listen, I think <laughs> having been in technology for a long time, what we're doing today wasn't possible. Mm. I would tell you even a decade ago, it wasn't possible. Yep. When did you start the company? We started in 2009. Okay, so, uh, so more so. than a decade. Maybe you can tell us just a bit about the challenge of doing it back then when the knowledge of these models, even the 
talent pool for data science and the people you needed to hire wasn't there. And of course, we've got orders of magnitude, less compute power. How did you deal with that? Yeah. So there was a number of things that as we looked at this and, you know, one was just, I'll go with the most basic, which isn't even really technology, but how do you ask hundreds of thousands of people, you know, 30 minutes with their questions? That was a daunting task 14 years ago. That's not much, maybe not as much a technology solution but it's the ability to leverage multiple panels and do all these things. But also we launched the business where we bought all our own hardware, all our own servers, all our own infrastructure. And we put that in a data center and that's how we scaled the business. The reality is without the evolution and really the capabilities that cloud has really provided, the compute power, the on-demand compute power would be really difficult for any company, much less a company that's a startup-oriented company 10, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, to kind of develop the capabilities we have. So today, we're all in the cloud. All the compute that we do is on demand, and it allows us to scale up and scale down. And then also just the ability to, to leverage unstructured data and apply you know, the techniques that are available now to use that data in a way that as I mentioned, kind of improves the precision of our understanding of individuals is just dramatically different. You know, a couple of companies ago, I recall we bought, there was a Ford Motor Company was a big customer of ours and they bought a four terabyte solution for their real-time inventory solution that we maintained for them, that we deployed for them. Four terabytes cost $4 million, <laughs> which seems ridiculous at this point, right? But that just gives you an idea. Now, this is 20 years ago, 20, 20 years ago or so. But um, the evolution of hardware and software and distributed computing has created an environment that's required for what we're doing. You know, the other one that's really required that we all take for granted today, but 25 years ago wasn't so obvious, maybe a little bit longer now, is the Internet. And the Internet is really kind of the, I think about it from the standpoint of it's really the foundation of which kind of, I believe AI is the skyscraper that's going to be built on top of that foundation. That it, it's really the, but without that foundation, the ability to leverage kind of large compute and AI just wouldn't be possible. Makes sense. And so talked a bit about some of the challenges of the past, looking to the future, presuming there's not some hard limits we hit with Moore's law or something like that. And uh, we continue to see this exponential improvement in technology What's going to be possible, perhaps even in the near future, in terms of AI and data-driven marketing that can tell us about people's values? Yeah. So this acceleration is beyond even what I thought was going to happen. If you would have told me a year ago, the things that, and I'll talk a little bit about these, but the things I thought was going to happen in five years is probably going to take two. And a lot of this has to do with unlocking the value of the data. And this is where generative AI and LLM models and those types of things are really valuable. You know, today, there's a lot of work that's done by people around things like segmentation or that's done around creative. And I'm not saying it's going to be completely displaced by AI, but you're going to have a starting point that's a lot closer to the finishing line than you have today. And the ability to analyze, leverage, and execute against that data, that time frame is going to compress, as well as the knowledge required to do that is going to significantly be lessened. So if you're a knowledge worker, I don't, it's not even marketing, just across the board. If you're a knowledge worker based on knowing things, 
that knowledge is going to be baked into the solutions that you're going to buy. And some of that's already happening to some degree, but I think it's that acceleration is going to happen very quickly. And so the ability, not as it is our understanding going to continue to get better and better and the things that we can do get better and better, but marketers are going to be closer to the finish line than the starting line when they want to do the things that they think about from a marketing perspective. So interesting, potentially a bit scary. Let's bring it back to values. I know it's not the topic of the podcast, but it's probably what most people, myself included, care about, which is how does it impact us and our careers, our security, our sense of achievement? So with these changes coming, what can people do to stay relevant? as knowledge workers, especially in the marketing space. So I've gotten this question a number of times recently. <laughs> what should we do as a marketer? And mm -hmm. I've kind of come up with the, what I call the four E's. And I think this is just about how do you approach AI? Because I don't think it's something you can ignore. So the four E's for me are embrace. I think you have to, as a marketer, have to embrace. And you got to understand where AI and technology are taking what's possible. And I think that also requires you to explore. So once you embrace it, like, this is part of my vernacular. This is part of my strategy. Now I need to explore what's out there, what's possible, what are people talking about that's going to be coming down the road. And then I would tell you, don't take everybody's word for it. There's a lot of conversations about AI right now. Mm. It's amazing how many AI companies all of a sudden exist. So there requires some experimentation. So that's the next day. Really, you need to experiment and kind of define and understand through that experimentation what is working for you and what will work. And then the last piece is you got to take action. You got to take, you got to execute. So action's not an E, but execute is. So execute against it. And there is no homeostasis. There is no static in this world. This world is constantly evolving and getting better, which requires your expertise as much as a marketer is going to be about what's possible and what's coming as what you're actually doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Thanks. Love the four E's. Embrace, explore, experimentation, execute, slash take action. <laughs> That's a great framework. Thanks. Well, almost at time, anything else you wanted to share before we close out this second episode? The only thing I'd add is, you know, through our conversation, I think it becomes really obvious that things are changing and there's so much opportunity. I think as human beings, sometimes we get overwhelmed with kind of the change. And I think I say this internally to our company, we're all in on AI. We're all in on growth and kind of discovery. And I think as a marketer, that's really important as we kind of go forward. And so I'm excited about what's coming. And I don't say that just because of the things that we're doing, but I think we can create a, a better opportunity to connect with people at, at a genuine level. And I mean that from a brand perspective, from a product perspective, and really kind of find where people live. And I don't mean that as a physical location. I mean, that is how we live in our own heads and how we kind of walk around the world and the things that were most important to us. Being able to connect and kind of be engaged at that level, I think is an exciting opportunity. Awesome way to round out. So all of this data, all of this AI stuff, what it actually comes down to is doing the human side of things better as marketers. That's what it's all about. Yeah. The customer doesn't care about all of this stuff. It's all in the background. And we have a message that speaks to the very things they care about most. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thanks. Thanks for joining us.